All right. Thank you so much, Becky. Um, yes, I've, I, many, I know several of you that are watching and uh, I've been a real estate attorney in Dallas for 30, I have to say 37 years now. Um, I, I am board certified. I did come from a small town out in West Texas called Sudan, Texas. Uh, went to Texas Tech undergrad, business school, law school. Um, I started my own firm about 20 years ago um, and quickly, quickly learned that um, the investor niche uh, was going to be my specialty. I met an investor, they referred another investor and now my business is about 75% relating to investors. I am a fee attorney with a title company and the name of my company right now is The Title Company. I didn't pick that name, but uh, anyway, um, I have been involved in title for at least 30 years of my career. I am a mom. I have a 21 year old daughter who is my technical advisor here today and two cats. Um, so um, with that, um, I guess we better just dig, dig in. So there's a disclaimer. Today's presentation is not to be interpreted as legal tax or accounting advice. It's just for information purposes. Contact your own attorney, CPA, or business advisor for advice about your particular real estate business and transactions. So I want to give you a little overview. Like I said, I've been involved in uh, in title with investors for going on 20 years. Um, and so I do understand the issues that you face on your deals. And unfortunately, some of the very best deals that you're gonna find are gonna have title issues. That's one reason why it's not, probably why it's not being sold on the retail market. So we're gonna talk about um, certain types of issues like liens, quick claim deeds, taxes, homestead issues, and death. And then also, I'm not gonna really go into detail about the last one, but forgeries, errors in prior, prior title filings and bankruptcies. But I will tell you that I have a client that was involved in a situation involving a forgery. I don't know uh, if may, many of you remember, but a few years ago, there was an issue in the news about a home being sold. Um, and come to find out, the person that came to the closing was an imposter and had killed the owner of the house and buried him in the backyard. And one of my clients was the uh, lucky assignee, was the lucky assignee of the uh, contract and uh, when he went to when he went to uh, repair the, the house that's when they discovered the body in the backyard and that was due to a forgery and um, so those those type of things can happen so the, before I leave this page I want to give you guys my my best word of advice through this whole webinar never 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 buy a piece of real estate without getting title insurance, if possible, because that is your that is your best 
protection against these type of issues that you're going to face on your transactions. So let's talk a little bit about liens uh, and problematic liens. The biggest one that we deal with regularly here in our title company is unresolved mortgage or deed of trust liens. In other words, um, there's an old lien from 2004 that was paid off but never released. Or there's one that uh, the sellers just claim up and down that they didn't know anything about and they've not been paying it. And all that in that will stop a transaction because unless we have evidence of some sort that's sufficient for the examiners and underwriters, we cannot insure that transaction until there is some sort of resolution. We frequently have to go to um, the bank's archives to find, uh, to find uh, pay evidence of payment, and that takes some time. We also um, have, have to go to the prior title companies. If the, if the lien was paid off through an, a previous title company, then if we can track them down, uh, and there was a title policy issued, then we can insure based upon an indemnity from the other title company. But what I will say is if you, uh, if you pay off a lien, make sure that you get a release and it gets recorded in the real property records of the county where the property is located. A lot of people receive their releases of lien from the mortgage company and they just file it away <laughs> with their other documents. And then 10 years later, when they want to sell the property, it's not been released and they have to go back and dig back to 10 years ago to find any release. Um, so that is probably the most common thing we deal with. Then, then of course, there's federal tax liens. Federal tax liens pose issues um, in a number of ways. Number one, if uh, obviously we have to get a payoff of a federal tax lien. Um, also, if a federal tax lien existed on a property and it was previously foreclosed, that can bring up a lot of issues because under the IRS rules and regulations, they have to be notified of any foreclosure 24 days in advance of the foreclosure sale, whereas Texas law only requires a a creditor to notify um, 21 days in advance. So the IRS has to be given sufficient notice and it has to be, um, there has to be evidence of when that notice was given. Otherwise, the foreclosure that happened will not uh, act to wipe out the lien. So if that's the case, then you're, you, you know, you're looking to buy a property that has <laughs> has a federal tax lien against it, even though you don't owe it. Um, the other issue is if it is a foreclosed property, you can't and you find out there um, is a federal tax lien, they have a right of redemption for four months following any foreclosure sale. So if you go down to the courthouse and you buy a property and it has a tax lien against it, even if it was if they were notified properly, then you still have to wait um, 120 days, I believe it is, maybe 160, I can't remember off the top of my head, but uh, before you can sell that property free and clear. 
the, the IRS has a right to come back in and take that property for what you foreclosed, what the amount was, it was purchased at the foreclosure sale. So they, um, those can slow down a transaction quite a bit. Uh, of course, we all, we have the ever-present city labor liens. You don't mow the property, uh, it gets a little bit high and here comes the city uh, mowing that for and charging you 200 plus dollars for each mowing um, event. Um, and the other thing, thing about labor, city and labor liens, they don't ever go away. Foreclosures don't wipe them out. Nothing wipes them out. And they do not negotiate uh, on, as a general rule, on payment on reducing their liens because they know ultimately they're going to get their money. Now, I don't know. I remember back a few, it's been quite a few years now, there was an article in the paper. Um, with um, I can't, her, uh, one of the columnists in the Dallas Morning News that was telling a sad story of this woman in Garland that bought a property, um, didn't go through a title company, they were trying to save money, and um, then she owned the property for oh, 10 years or so. And I, I forget what the, um, what the event was that brought it up, but apparently, you know, the cities generally don't send you out notices about you have, you have existing liens, city liens, and they're gonna, you know, on what you owe. They just sit back after the first notice and then wait for you to pay. Well, she, she waited 10 years. It wasn't even her city lien, it was the investor that sold her the property and by this time she owed over five over five thousand dollars and um Jacqueline Floyd was you know saying how unfair and whatnot but all of that could have been resolved or she could have been protected had she purchased a title insurance policy and gone through a title company to help uh locate those liens and get them paid at the time of closing um, or if they don't, occasionally we miss those. A lot of times what happens is there's a foreclosure going on and the residents of the house have already moved out two, three months beforehand. And um, the city sees that and comes by and mows the property. Right at about the same time, the foreclosure is happening, your purchase is happening. Well, title, we in the title industry in Dallas County, for sure, we can't even see a lien that is filed for about three weeks from the time it's filed. So, but the title companies cover that as part of their title insurance. So if a lien got filed during that interim period, uh, your title insurance policy would save you on that. Um, judgment liens, judgment liens are just um, if these are properties owned by an investor that are not, or an individual that are, and it's not a homestead property, then those judgment liens have to be paid uh, in order to obtain clear title. The sellers don't like that. You know, they don't, uh, they don't want to have to pay those, but we have to get a payoff for those and um, take care of payment on that. 
and then the child support and we're going to talk about judgment liens a little bit more in in the context of homestead properties but if it's not a homestead property then the liens have to be paid um child support liens we run across that quite often on a situ usually it's a situation where uh, the owner of the property has passed away and the minute a person passes away whether it's a record there's any evidence or not uh, you know the minute someone takes their last breath they have no more property their property passes and then um, so we say you have four or five children adult children and one of them has a child support lien against it well uh, once the property has passed, any liens against that individual uh, heir attached to the property and have to be paid. Um, so usually what we're able to do with, it, with most creditors is they will agree to accept full payment of that uh, individual heir's uh, interest and not not require full payment from the other heirs um, and then there's there's other types federal state miscellaneous liens i just closed a couple of deals where there was a federal government lien on each one of them against the owner of the property for millions of dollars <laughs> uh, but we were able to get with the um, federal attorneys and whatnot and they again agreed to accept a certain amount of the net after everything was paid but those will those will certainly stop a closing i had one person that thought that any federal lien was the same as an irs lien where you could get you know you could um through redemption or whatnot you could get your property released from those without payment and that was not the case <laughs> um and then the state you know the state um there's all types of liens um liens against a business for non-payment of their uh, payroll taxes or their um uh their business taxes their um and so those also have to be resolved unfortunately i just closed a deal it took me about six months to do so that I believe had every one of these types of <laughs> these types of issues against it. Now it did take me a couple, two, three months to work through all of those liens and get them resolved. But it is possible if your title company or your attorney is willing to put in the effort to do so. Now, of course, I charged a legal fee to help get all that done, but it is possible. So let's talk a little bit about quick claim deeds right now. Quick claim deeds are really, title companies absolutely hate quick claim deeds. In the state of Texas, a quick claim deed is a legal transfer of ownership, if there's any rights of ownership, of the grantor to the grantee, but there's no covenant of title or warranty or guarantee that the title is clear and free of encumbrances. Essentially, it's an estoppel. It says, if I have anything, then you have it, and I can't claim, you know, you have whatever I have. So it is a legal transfer. I've had people say, well, is it, if it's a legal transfer, what's your problem? Um, they're commonly 
they're really commonly used between family members, either in a divorce. Uh, family law attorneys seem to love to use those. Uh, or other family situations in particular where there's a death in the family and the other siblings are, you know, uh, waiving any right they have to the property they choose to do quick claim deeds. But like I said, title companies hate those and will not insure a real estate transaction if a quick claim is in the chain of title. And I'm not saying just on your transaction, but in three transactions back, there was a quick, quick claim deed, then they will go back and require you to find that grantor of that quick claim deed and have them issue a warranty deed. The, the problem is that warranty, uh, where there's no warranty, the title company is not able to go back up the chain of title and um, track down where, where a title problem originated so that they can get, um, get sub, um, reimbursement for the claims that they pay out. So unless there's a warranty all the way through the chain of title, the title companies won't touch it. And this can cause really serious issues with your closing. Uh, particularly if, say, the grantor three, three uh, transactions prior is now dead or unlocatable. I had an investor, a local investor here, bring us a transaction that there were all quick claim deeds between family members, and now all those family members were dead. So we had to go back and determine airship issues for the deceased and then have their heirs, their rightful heirs, execute warranty deeds. That one take, took uh, about a year also. So um, don't ever accept a quick claim deed. Don't ever give a quick claim deed. It's, uh, it's just not worth it. Now, the sheriffs and the constables, any of you who buy properties at the um, tax sales, you know all they give you is a quick claim deed. Um, and as a result, although the title companies don't like it because the sheriff and the constable won't give anything else, then we do accept a title from the sheriff by quick claim deed. So let's talk a little bit about taxes. So what taxes can affect your transaction? Federal income taxes. Obviously, you know that the federal government has a lien. If they file a, a federal tax lien, then they have a lien that uh, I just mentioned, talked about the right of redemption, and also the problem if you, failure, if you fail to notify the IRS upon foreclosure, then your property is still subject to someone else's federal tax lien. Property taxes, that's the most common thing that we deal with. Um, particularly on these transactions where you're purchasing from uh, an over 65 person or a deceased person who was over 65. You always got to look at the, every title company will, produce, will order and produce a tax certificate and it will show what exemptions are uh, against that property. Now if there is an over 65 exemption, that means that the taxes as of the the date that the um, over 65 went and, and obtained that exemption, certain taxes do not increase, such as the school taxes, they do not increase. 
and uh, otherwise you also have a significant reduction in your taxes. But uh, you have to be very careful on that and make sure that the person that's selling to you was entitled to the exemption. In other words, let's say within a one year's time or with, say in 2019, an investor bought a property from an over 65. As a general rule, the tax jurisdictions give you the entire year of the transfer of the property. But let's say they bought it in, investor bought it in 2019 and then went and sold the property to you or to another investor in 20, early 2020, prior to the 2020 taxes being known. So the tax certificate comes out and it shows the 2019 taxes. All right, the 2019 had an exemption for over 65, but in 2020, the owner of the property changed and the right to the exemption changed. So, uh, so in any event, by the end of the year, they could be, uh, the taxes will be higher and you have to be careful that you don't, um, that you don't get stuck with uh, more taxes than you accounted for. Um, I have a client, a friend and a client that for whatever reason, she was, she went crazy that, that uh, week. She placed, she bought a property and she allowed it to be closed at another title company other than mine. She bought it from the heirs of an over 65 person. All right. Um, the person had died, the, the over 65 person had died in, let's say, 2018. And um, she went and bought it in 2019 from the heirs. Well, they had just continued to pay, or let's say she died in 2017 and she, and she bought it from them in 2019. Well, and a lot of times the heirs will just continue to pay at the over 65 rate, even though they're not entitled to it. But then whenever um, something happens, then the tax jurisdiction gets notice of it and they change the exemptions. Well, so she bought it while the over 65 exemption was still showing um, being in effect. And the title company she closed with did not dig into it and make sure that the, her sellers were entitled to that exemption. So she bought it and they, they were only charged with relatively small amount of taxes. Then she fixed her house up, got ready to sell it later in the year in um, October when the new tax bills had come out and the tax jurisdiction had had several months from the time the affidavit of airship was filed uh, until she sold it. Well, they had already reassessed the property and went back, reassessed it not just for the current year, but for the prior years that the heirs were not eligible, really should not have been paying the lower rate. And then the title company, again, she chose not to close with me, but the title company that she closed with said, okay, now you have to pay us $4,000 in these back taxes before you can sell it. Um, so you can imagine she was very upset about that. But luckily we have, uh, she bought a title policy and I helped her with making a claim against her title policy and she did recoup a lot of that money. 
and then the other thing you need to be aware of is there is this thing um, where an over 65 person that's primarily got owns a property free and clear, lenders will not allow what I'm about to tell you to happen. But if it's free and clear, you can go down to the tax office, the appraisal district and say, I choose not to pay my taxes anymore. And they will give you an affidavit to sign. And that is exactly what happens. The minute you, when you sign that, then you are not obligated to pay any property taxes going forward. And what that is, what that relates to is public policy. The, um, we don't want um, elderly people to lose their houses because they can't pay their taxes. So what the jurisdictions do is they essentially make an 8% loan to the owner. Uh, and, but of course they don't say that the taxes never have to be paid. They, there does come a time when the owner passes away, when they go to sell the property, uh, then all those back taxes have to be paid. And I've had many, I've had several closings where grown children were uh, expecting to make a certain amount of money on the sale of their parent, deceased parent's property. And I had to go in and explain it to them that they were not gonna have money to buy big expensive uh, flat screen TVs, but they could take each other out to dinner essentially was what with what would be left after we've had to pay those back taxes. So that can mess up your transaction also. They were not very happy sellers, needless to say. Okay, let's talk about some homestead issues. Um, so homestead, that is one of the greatest things we have as Texans as far as protection of our property and um, the federal government doesn't like it that we have that and no one else does. But in any event, it's sacred in Texas. It was established in the days of the Republic of Texas. Essentially, what they wanted to make sure that dad, after a long uh, week of work or whatever, didn't go to the local saloon and gamble and get maybe have a little bit too much to drink and gamble and then run out of money and say, okay, here's the deed to my house. Um, I'm gonna put that in the pot. And then he loses and then the next thing you know, mom and the kids are being uh, removed from their home. That was kind of the initial uh, purpose of it. So it has nothing to do, a lot of people think that filing for the homestead exemption for property tax purposes means that that's your homestead. It's not, that is a separate issue. Now, if you do file for a homestead exemption for property taxes, that is good evidence that this property is your homestead. But homestead is a fact issue. If you live there, if you, um, you live there and you, that is where your home is, then it's your homestead. There have been people that have signed affidavits that for lenders that have said, this property is not my homestead. And then when, uh, but really they were living there and it really was their homestead. And then they came back whenever the lender wanted to foreclose because they didn't make the payment. And they said, oh no, this is my homestead. And in that instance, it go, I, I, I was in my early career, I was with a firm that had that very thing happen where um, a former Dallas Cowboy player 
did that and it went all the way up to the Supreme Court and they ruled that homestead is homestead. So the lender lost on that and the person that bought the property at the foreclosure sale lost on that. So it protects your, it protects owners and spouse, also spouses. Even if your spouse is not an owner on the title, they have a homestead interest and are protected from the loss of their home for collection of many types of liens. As a result, both spouses, in order to validly transfer property or place a lien on a property, both spouses have to sign the documentation. So what happens if there is a credit, a judgment lien for a credit card or a lawsuit that is against the owner of a property that, uh, the owner of the property that is a homestead? It will stop a closing if a lien is discovered against the homestead. Although under the laws of our state, title, uh, the lien is not valid, cannot attach to a homestead, the title companies, we don't take that risk. We don't take that risk of whether it is your homestead or not. They will require that the liens be released before they'll close a sale of a homestead with a judgment lien against it, even though it's not ultimately a valid lien. Um, so that was, uh, that was causing a lot of problems for um, owners of homestead property they were trying to sell their property and the judgment creditors were like well uh we know it's not legal but you know make me uh we're not going to we're not going to sign a partial release of your homestead so a few years ago a, a new provision was added to the texas property code to provide relief for homestead property owners it's in section 52.0012 of the property code and what it does, it requires that the judgment debtor notify the judgment creditor or its attorney at the last known address that they have of them by certified mail, requesting that the judgment creditor execute a partial release against the debtor's homestead property. You also have to send along an executed affidavit of homestead signed by the debtor and notarized and a proposed partial release form for execution by the creditor. After you send it, and it has to be sent by certified mail so that you can prove the date that you sent it, you have to wait 30 days, which again, slows down a closing, but at least it can happen. Uh, you have to wait 30 days after the date the letter uh, of the letter requesting the release. If the creditor does not respond, send a release, whatnot, then the uh, if the creditor hasn't provided the release or otherwise responded, then you can file as a debtor a state promulgated form with, with the county clerk where the property is located that says this acts as this affidavit acts as a release against my homestead. And if it's done properly, the title companies will recognize it as a release against a partial release against a homestead property. I've used that procedure several times within the last couple of years and it has worked very successfully. So let's talk a little bit about death. I just gave a, a webinar a week or so ago about some of this, but this is gonna be a little, uh, a little shorter um, discussion. 
So often investors will find that the person attempting to sell the property is not actually entitled and they don't necessarily tell you. Um, and, and often we don't find out until that contract is brought into the title company and we search the records and then it's, then we say, well, who is this person? That's not your seller on the contract. So my suggestion there is to always, always make sure, ask the questions of the person that's attempting to sell you a property about whether it is actually their property or they inherited it or it was their parents' property or some to that effect. Because we have to determine, have to determine the rightful and legal ownership of the property before it can be sold. Um, I always tell my clients, and I actually give my clients a, an, what's called an airship questionnaire to take out with them when they have calls with potential sellers. And if they discover that there is a deceased owner in title, to get them that questionnaire as soon as possible, get them to start filling out the information. Essentially, an affidavit airship, which I'll talk about a little bit more, but it it provides evidence of the deceased person's life, who their spouses were, who their children were, so that we can determine who's entitled to the property. And the sooner the better that process can get started. So if, if you find out that you have a property where there's a deceased owner, if they had a will, it's a fairly simple process, but it is, and it is a time consuming process. Um, let's say they had a will, the original owner, and they just passed away. Well, that will can be submitted to the probate court in the county where the person died, together with a petition, a lawsuit, to have the court approve the will. So once it's submitted, then generally in Dallas County anyway, it takes about 30 days before you'll get a hearing date. In smaller counties, it can be done more quickly. Then you'll go to the hearing and the executor under the will and the attorney for the estate appear and the executor testifies as to the specifics of the validity of the will in front of the judge. And then following the hearing, assuming that the judge approves the will, then they will have its clerk issue letters of testamentary to the executor. And that is the document that authorizes an executor to act under the will, including the power to sell property. Uh, you can also submit a will for a small estate where there is no other assets of the uh, estate other than the real property that's being sold. And that is called a muniment of title. It's a little bit of a short form of a probate. And uh, essentially when the judge issues the order, then it act, that order acts as transferring the title to the person in the will. And then uh, the title companies, we are always gonna require that a certified copy of the probate application and the will and the entire proceedings be, be obtained and recorded in the real property records in the county where the property is to establish ownership. So, um, because title companies do not search anything other, generally anything other than the real property records. We don't go search the court records regarding civil lawsuits. We don't search the court records regarding probate applications. So we have to, for future examiners, we have to make sure that 
anything, a court proceeding that proposes to transfer the title has to be recorded in the real property records of the county where the property is located. That can sometimes be a problem if the person lived, you know, somewhere else and just happened to die here in Dallas County and the they have property in Dallas County and, you know, Tarrant County and whatnot. It, in order for it to act as a transfer of the title, has to be recorded in the prop in the county where the property is located. So if you don't have a will, oh, let me back up a second. Uh, if you don't probate that will within four years of the time the deceased passed away, then under the Texas law, Texas Estates Code, it becomes as if that deceased did not have a will. So at that point, you're gonna fall into these provisions that we're talking about. So let's say they don't have a will. How do you transfer the title? Um, the Texas Estates Code is going to tell you who is the new owners of the property. You don't have, there's no give, there's no will. They didn't ever do anything for my parents and we don't know where they are. It doesn't matter. They, uh, under, the, under the Estates Code, they may be an heir of the property. So the Estates Code specifically sets out who the heirs are based upon the family situation of the deceased. If the deceased was married with children all from the same marriage, that's the ideal situation. That's the easiest that we're gonna be able to get this transaction closed. Because if it was their community property, their house where they lived, then the entire uh, property is going to go to the surviving spouse and no one else would have to be involved in the transfer of the property. Now, if it's their separate property, non-homestead, then yes, two thirds of the property goes to the children of the deceased interest in the property, goes to the children and one third to the surviving spouse. But this is the situation we run into more, more and more and more. If the deceased was married with children and any of the children are not from the current spouse, in other words, he was married previously, had children with the prior wife, um, and he didn't have a will, then if it's, even though it's the homestead and the community property of the wife, she gets a half, she gets only gets her half and the remaining half goes to all of the children of the deceased. So you have to get um, stepchildren uh, of the survivor um, to join in and they are entitled to a portion of the proceeds and they have to sign a deed. And in a lot of instances, that is a daunting task because there quite probably could be bad blood between the two different families and it requires some really special skill in getting <laughs> everyone to agree on the sale of the property. And then there's a couple other instances. If you're married and have no children, obviously your community property is gonna to go to your surviving spouse. If it's separate, it's gonna go half to your parents and half to your surviving spouse. Uh, now, if you're unmarried with no children, it gets a little more complicated. Generally, your father and mother are your first heirs. If they're deceased, your brothers and sisters are your heirs. 
And if they're deceased, then you go to the paternal kindred and the maternal kindred, in other words, cousins. So I just, I am still actually working on the sale of a property that the grandmother uh, deeded to a long time ago, deeded a property here in Dallas to her eight, eight surviving children but nothing was ever done and so six of the eight surviving children passed away and so we had to go get affidavits of airship for each of those brothers and sisters and then we had to determine what their airship situations were and then get down to cousins and whatnot who would have to sign off on a portion of the we have to sign off on deeds transferring their portion of the property and then our my two clients at the time was a 102 year old woman one of the sisters and an 89 year old woman well unfortunately before we could get this whole thing completed <laughs> the 102 year old passed away so now we're having to probe she had a will we're having to probate it and so this can be quite a daunting task. Like I said, I've been working on this for more than a year, but I guess the deal was good enough for the investors that they're still hanging in there and waiting for that to be done. Uh, so if you're in a situation where there was no will, these are the documents you're gonna have to get and produce to the title company. You're gonna have to get a certified copy of the death certificate of the deceased to establish that, they're, that they've died. And that is really not waived by the title companies. We really absolutely require that. And sometimes that's not an easy task either to obtain the death certificate. Um, then we prepare an aff, what's called an affidavit of airship. It's signed by one of the family members stating the facts regarding the life of the deceased owner, their birth date, their marriages, their children, um, outstanding debts, and then that gets prepared by the title company or an attorney. And then you have to have two independent non-related parties corroborate the statements made by the family member. Um, that all has to be done under, I mean, under oath and um, under penalty of perjury because the title company is relying on the accuracy of the statements that are made in the affidavit of airship. I, I've had people say, oh, uh, I'm, the only, I'm the only child, and then come to find out whenever I see the death certificate, the information was provided by a son by another name. So, you know, uh, we have to be complete and um, as far as the information we get. Then we get deeds from all the legal heirs. And then we have to search all the heirs' names to see if they have liens against them that would have attached to the property when the deceased passed away. So one of the other things I just wanna mention briefly is Medicaid. Medicaid is becoming more of an issue. Uh, March 1st, 2005, the law passed here in Texas that said if you were 55 at the time and applied for Medicaid long-term services, then Medicaid has a claim against your property. Uh, so we, we send a certification form. If we suspect that, we send a certification form to Medicaid to determine if they intend to make a claim and in what amount. Oftentimes, it's more than what the property is being sold for. 
but you may be able to get by without that them Medicaid coming in and taking everything if these exceptions, uh, any of these exceptions apply. Um, if a child or surviving spouse is still living in the house, if an unmarried child resided in the house with the parent for over one over a year before the death of the parent, I had I saved a closing based upon that exception a few years ago. Um, so you just need to keep that in the back of your mind that that is also potentially an issue with your closing, um, and you don't want. Uh, you don't want Medicaid coming back and saying, well, you bought the property, but we have a claim against the property. So that's pretty much it. I just want to say that the bottom line, I want to reiterate the bottom line here, is that do not buy a property unless there, I mean, I can't imagine the extenuating circumstances, but do not buy a property without purchasing a title policy. It is false economy these type of things pop up all the time. And the only recourse you have if they do is that you have a title policy. So with that, I'm gonna turn it back over to our moderators here. So if you don't have any other questions, guys, uh, thank you so much, Kayleen, for this wonderful session. And everyone, thank you so much for attending and you have a great day. Thank you. For webinar schedules, follow us at our official social media accounts or visit us at www.realestateiq.co.